0: If you need help getting Social Security disability benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsburg, and I'm a practicing Social Security disability lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to another episode of SSD Radio, your podcast for learning about Social Security Disability and how to improve your chances at winning disability benefits. I'm your host, Jonathan Ginsburg. Today, I have for you part one of my interview with attorney Cameron Khanna. Cameron is a former decision writer for Social Security Disability. In other words, he worked for one of the decision writing centers where he would actually draft approvals and denials for a judge's signature. Now, you may not be aware of this, but Social Security Disability judges generally do not write their own decisions. Instead, after your hearing, they decide whether to approve or deny. Then they send their notes to a decision writer to actually draft the decision. I know Cameron because before going to law school, he worked for me for about a year and a half as a paralegal, drafting prehearing briefs and getting files ready for hearings. So he's seen the social security disability process from both sides. In this episode, Cameron and I talk about what decision writers do, the training they get, and how they interact with hearing judges. One of my takeaways from this conversation is the increasing focus of Social Security judges on evidence. Because judges don't write their own decisions, they can't approve you simply because they find you credible or because they believe you're deserving. If there's not evidence to support a favorable decision, the decision writer, someone like Cameron, won't be able to do his job, and the judge will have to answer to his or her superiors. So, without further ado, here's my interview with my former employee and former decision writer for Social Security Disability, Cameron Khanna. I'm going to welcome uh, Cameron Khanna to the podcast today, and Cameron is a former uh, decision writer or attorney advisor with Social Security Security Administration, and we're going to talk about the decision writing process because uh, one of the things I get a lot of questions about uh, Is just the reality that many people find it very odd that a judge who hears the case does not actually write the decision, but instead gives that responsibility or delegates that responsibility for drafting a decision to somebody called a decision writer in some far off place. So, Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the time.
1: Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Um, and I look forward to speaking with you. Very
0: good. Okay, well, tell, let's just start with the, the big picture. Give me an overview of the decision writing process. Okay, sure.
1: So I guess I want to start just with a note on um, organizational matters. So there are hundreds of decision writers at the Social Security Administration, and their focus is to write decisions. But some decision writers are housed at what we call national case assistance centers, which are also known as writing centers. Basically what these are, are buildings full of attorneys who are writing decisions day in and day out. Those are the National Case Assistance Centers in CACs. Now, there are also decision writers who work at the National Hearing Centers. Um, The National Hearing Centers are a little bit different than the National Case Assistance Centers in that at the National Hearing Centers, the main objective is for that hearing center to hear cases and decide cases. And so they also have writers working for the judges at those national hearing centers whose role is to write those decisions. Now, I don't know if it sounds like that big of a distinction, but I wanted to at least draw the distinction because um, I was a decision writer at the National Case Assistance Center, or you know, just a writing center, basically, mm-hmm. full of writers, no judges. And so my perspective is sort of from that model, as opposed to the National Hearing Center model. Um, but I just wanted to mention that. Um, okay, that's
0: as a, it's a, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, interesting. I did not know that. And I'm I, I'm assuming when you're talking about the national hearing centers, is that where they do the video hearings? Is that that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so they do video hearings, and um, they may even do in-person hearings. But um, you know, that actually leads me to one other thing I should mention that there are also hearing offices all across the country too. I mean, there's probably around 160 or something like that ballpark figure. And they also hear cases and decide cases. And at most, if not all of those hearing um, offices, you're also gonna have writers. So there are a lot of writers all around the agency. Um, I guess one reason I mention what I mentioned though is because my perspective is that of somebody who works at a writing center. And so therefore I'm not working directly with any particular judge. Now that would be the case if I were working at the National Hearing Center or at a hearing office. I would be working with either one judge or maybe a handful of judges, sort of in like a clerkship type capacity where I get to know the judge. um, I work with them closely on a day-to-day basis. I know what they want. I know, you know, how they like to decide cases. My perspective is as a writer from the national case assistance center or the writing center where I work with, you know, judges all across the country, every jurisdiction and basically you know, I might never even write a case for the same judge. So, you know, I don't know if you'll want to put that into the podcast, but just so you kind of have an idea Mm -hmm. that that's the case. um, That distinction is something you should always keep in mind because as I'm about to talk about, you know, what the decision writing process is, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who worked at the NCAC or the writing center.
0: Now any sense of what percentage of um, cases are being written up at the, at the national center like where you work versus uh, local hearing, OHOs, local offices or, um, or the National Hearing Center? Any sense of that? It's
1: hard for me to say exact percentages. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that at the National Case assistant Centers, and I know there are five of them, by the way, mm-hmm. um, the one I worked at was in the Baltimore region in Woodlawn, Maryland, and that center itself had over 200 writers around the time that I left the agency. So that's a lot of writers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's more writers than you're going to find in any hearing office or in any um, national hearing center. So I guess, you know, common sense would dictate that you're going to, a majority of decisions are going to be written by decision writers at national case assistance centers. Um, And, I should mention. Um, I mentioned there are five national case assistance centers. Um, they're in St. Louis, um, Baltimore, Maryland, Falls Church, Virginia, Louisville, Kentucky, and there's one in Richmond, California. At least as of the time that I left the agency, I don't see why you know those five wouldn't still exist. Um, yep. Each of those five had quite a, a number of writers. So. You know just giving your audience an idea that there are a lot of decision writers out there kind of scattered across the country.
0: Don't know where to begin? Get my free secrets to getting approved survival kit. Inside the kit I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case, what to do if you're denied, how to avoid common mistakes, and my ever-popular how to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Um, and how many decisions might you write up during the course of a, a day? Okay, so... so.
1: I can answer that. Um, I guess I'll just give a quick, you know, answer to your earlier question about sort of what the decision writing, writing process entails yeah. before okay. I talk about you know production. Right. So I just kind of wanted to give you all that background. Yeah.
0: No. That's that's great. That's I did not know that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So okay. basically,
1: what you have is. Give me one second. The case has been denied once or maybe twice, depending on the jurisdiction, and has finally made its way to an administrative law judge for a hearing. And the judge has finally taken a look at the case, heard the case, and rendered a decision. But the ALJs have such high um, production requirements themselves, in other words, they hear so many cases, they just don't have time to actually sit and draft the case. Um, And that's, you know, people think it's bizarre that a decision writer writes the case, even though they didn't hear it. Well, that has to do with the fact that ALJs just do not have time to sit and write the case. So it basically gets farmed out to decision writers who are either in-house with the judge or at one of these writing centers, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And what the judge will do is, ideally, draft up a set of what they call decision writing instructions and will those instructions will give you the disposition obviously favorable unfavorable partially favorable the list goes on there are different types of dispositions as you know Mm -hmm. Um, so it'll it'll usually that'll be the first thing you'll see on the instructions um you're going to also hopefully see in those instructions sort of a brief discussion of the legal analysis used at sort of each step of the sequential evaluation process, right? You'll hopefully have a section that says, you know, this person did or did not do substantial gainful activity, and here's why, Um, you know, a discussion of severe and non-severe impairments, a discussion of what the residual functional capacity is, and so on and so forth. A good set of instructions will have sort of and analysis at each one of the steps of the sequential evaluation process so that the writer knows what the judge was thinking, um, understands the analysis. Are these
0: these typed up or handwritten?
1: So at the time that I worked there, which I, I ended my, or I resigned from that position in July of 2017. So it has been almost three years, but at the time there still were handwritten instructions out there. Okay. The the agency was trying very hard to um, mandate that administrative law judges would type these and perhaps even use certain softwares or programs that they would use to generate these things. But there are, what, 1,500 ALJs out there. Um, a lot of them are resistant to change. People were still handwriting. Um, for, but for the most part, national case assistance centers like ours would um, – be getting typed instructions which is so much better than mm. than the handwritten instructions but to answer your question at that time there were certainly still handwritten decisions out there and that caused kind of a whole you know litany of problems but but that's um hopefully responsible to your question Yeah,
0: was was there a particular form that was being used or is it just freestyle
1: So at the time that I worked there, again, and this may have changed since that time, and I hope it has because, you know, I know that there were kind of a lot of dissatisfaction with the fact that it wasn't uniform, but um, no, there was no particular form at the time. It was sort of a mixed bag. You would have um, some handwriting, some using, you know, agency templates to use them. So you would see some uniformity across. It's not all just random and different. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have something called the electronic bench book that judges would use that would help draft these um, instructions. Some people would use this thing called FIT. I don't exactly remember what FIT stands for, but it was another sort of program that would help generate um, decisions. And we had this thing called DGS that would also help generate templates and things. So, you know, you would see some of these instructions coming in and they would look similar, even though they were from judges at different, you know, locations mm. and across the country. And that was always nice to get some familiarity. But again, there just wasn't uniformity at the time. And it was sort of much to the chagrin of the writers, because writers would rather have, you know, sort of um, a consistent um, format for instructions, sure. rather, than, rather than some that had more or less information. So, okay. Um, there you go. And I guess the last thing I'll say about the instructions is that they also hopefully will have, you know, pin sites to the case file, right? Like exhibit 12 F, um, page 36, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where this medical expert says that the complainant cannot, um, lift more than 20 pounds, something like that. You want these sites in the instructions because, you know, that shows that the administrative law judge, you know, looked at the stuff in the file and, and is now citing hard evidence. Um, so, oh, and finally instructions, ideally instructions will have the weights that the administrative law judge is giving to the various opinions in the file. All right. So kind of taking it back to what a day in the life of a decision writer is, you're going to, you know, read these instructions and then hopefully you're going to have enough to delve into the case file, review it, and eventually write the case. So I want to talk about instructions just a little bit more if you're okay with it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, And I do want to give kind of a more of a day day in the life of a a writer in a minute because I'm still kind of like doing the bird's eye view. But I I just want to let you know that instructions were not always consistent. And there were times, and I kid you not, where I would see just a smiley face, right? You might have an instruction that says, fully favorable, smiley face, or a frowning face. Now, I am, I'm almost 100% certain that the agency has probably nipped that in the bud. And it, it was a really big problem whenever that would come up because it just really wasn't policy compliant. And I really doubt that it's the case still. But that just gives you a sense of the range of instructions. So they're just not always going to be those ideal instructions that I was talking about that would include, you know, the disposition, the analysis, the RFC, and the um sites to the case file and those type of things right wait given to opinions they they just weren't all going to have that so therefore the decision writer you know carries the burden sort of of filling out the decision right you know you know the disposition it's going to be unfavorable in this case for example Mm -hmm. but we don't have much to go on as the writer so we um as writers will review that case file as intensely as possible and as thoroughly as possible to try to support this decision. And, you know, but, but most of the time, Jonathan, we would have the disposition, some sort of residual functional capacity, um, weights to the opinions and those kind of things. You know, it, were, it was really the outliers that didn't have those, but, you know, I just want to let you know, so you know kind of what a, a decision writer faces sometimes with instructions, they're just not always consistent. And I hope they are now, right, mm-hmm. three years later.
0: Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com Don't delay, act now.